ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Woohoo, ladies! We have made it to the last minor prophet and the last book of the Old Testament. Congratulations for sticking with your reading. Tomorrow will be a review of the Old Testament and a lesson on the 400 years between the Old and New Testament. And then next week we will start on Matthew. Oh yeah. Since Zechariah was long, I did not do a review of the Minor Prophets, but today I want to start with that. Hosea married a harlot, which showed Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord, but it also showed the Lord's Hesed love, his loving kindness to Israel. Joel prophesied about the plague of locusts, which called Israel to be ready for the day of the Lord. Amos preached, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, as he called the Lord's people to social justice and true worship. Obadiah prophesied against Edom, the descendants of Esau, because of their vengeful actions toward Jerusalem and Judah. Jonah was sent to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, but he refused, ran the other way, got swallowed by a fish, and only after three days in the belly of the fish did he pray and say, Okay, I'll fulfill my vow. The fish vomited him up onto dry land. Jonah went, he preached, they heard, they repented, and this made Jonah mad. Micah prophesied over a 700-year time frame, which included the invasion of Assyria and Babylon, the exile, and the return of the Jews to their land, and that there would be one born in Bethlehem. Nahum preached the sermon Jonah wanted to preach, which was judgment to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, because of their treatment to Israel, Judah, and everywhere else they went. Habakkuk questioned the Lord and asked, why and how long? This is a theodicy, a defense of God. In other words, if God is sovereign, why is there evil in the world? We learn that the righteous live by faith in both good and bad situations. In Zephaniah, the Lord is searching Jerusalem with lamps to find and punish the unfaithful. This is the strongest declaration of the day of the Lord. And yet we also see that the Lord is mighty to save the faithful. Haggai encouraged the post-exilic Jews to finish rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And Zechariah encouraged them to prepare their hearts for the Messiah that is to come. Now we have the twelfth. Malachi. And Dr. Betts said the key words of this book are appeal to backsliders. The temple was finished with the encouragement of Haggai and Zechariah, but later on the people had become lackadaisical about their religion. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1 says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. That's it. What makes this intro even worse than others is that Malachi means my messenger. So some people even argue that Malachi is not even his real name, but it's anonymous. I go the traditional route and say that his name is Malachi. Once again, if we put on our detective hats, we find a few clues. 
He was in Jerusalem near the temple and the priest. There are no times given in the book, but we do see the desolation of Edom, the descendants of Esau. There is a governor ruling in Judah instead of a king. There is spiritual and moral decline, intermarriage with other nations, and rising divorce rates. Most people put this book after Haggai and Zechariah when the temple was rebuilt in 515. Some put it before Ezra's return, and then Nehemiah's return was 445-444 BC. A few place it after them. Truth is, if we needed to know, the Lord would have given us the information. What we do know is the temple was built, and there were governors, not kings, so it is after 515 BC, and that it was long enough after the renewal of commitment that they had become complacent again. And this is about as good as it gets for the who, what, when, where, and why of Malachi. With that being said, let's look at the scriptures. It is set up with six disputes that the Lord had with his people, and they have with him. In my Old Testament notes, the structure pattern is the Lord raises the issue, the people question the Lord, and then the Lord responds by giving examples in his answer. As Hill and Walton say in a survey of the Old Testament, Malachi's prophecy is simple, direct, and forceful. 47 of the 57 verses in the book are addressed to Israel in the first person, presenting a vivid encounter between God and his people. Unlike the pattern of the messenger formula example, thus saith the Lord, followed by an oracle that was predominant in the earlier prophets, Malachi punctuates his message of six oracles with a series of 10 rhetorical questions and answers. This is found on page 707 of their book. Verses 2 through 5 start with the first question. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. One thing that C. Hassel Bullock said in an introduction to the Old Testament prophetic books, the verb hate must be understood in the light of God's election of Israel. It does not imply personal animosity toward Edom, but means that God did not choose Esau. In his inexplicable grace, he chose Jacob. This section continues with the Lord showing how Edom received punishment. And since the Lord dealt with the enemies of Jerusalem, they could see how much the Lord loved them. The second dispute covers chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 9, which is about their worship and honor of the Lord. Verses 6 and 7 say, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, How have we defiled you? And that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. The people were bringing blind, sick, and lame sacrifices to be offered at the temple instead of their best. These were not good enough even to give to the governor, yet they brought them to the Lord. The Lord reminded them that he is a great king 
whose name will be feared among the nations, and yet his own people disrespected him. Starting in chapter 2, the Lord focuses on the priests who are giving these offerings and who are not honoring the Lord. And the Lord said he'd send a curse on them if they do not repent. The Lord then praised Levi, who were the first priests, who were righteous and who honored the Lord's name, who walked in peace and righteousness and turned away from iniquity. Verse 7 reads, For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. These priests were not like that, and they showed partiality in their instructions. The people's unfaithfulness to the Lord was the third issue. They had intermarried with people of other faiths and had mixed religions. Plus, they had divorced their own wives, which the Lord hates. The Lord said he no longer was accepting their offering for this reason. And verse 14 says, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage represents our covenant relationship with the Lord. The fourth dispute, chapter 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 5, was on divine justice. Verses 17 of chapter 2 and then the first verse of chapter 3 are key verses of the book which say, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, How have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, Where is the God of justice? Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God's justice is coming, and he is sending his messenger. And who can endure and who can stand? There will be a day when the priests shall be pure and righteous offerings will be given and they will be pleasing to the Lord. The Lord will judge the wicked who do not fear the Lord and who deal oppressively with people. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 3 start the fifth dispute about repentance. They read, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. For the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Then the Lord said in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. The Lord said to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is one place in scripture that the Lord says to test him. He said, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. In other words, if you tithe 10% of your income, watch and see how the Lord will bless you. My dad used to always say, you can't outgive God. I hated that cliche when he said it, but it is true. Verse 13 of chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 3, 
Address the last dispute, the sixth. Is it profitable to serve God? The question comes in verse 13. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? They said it was vain to serve the Lord. What profit is there to keep his charge? The wicked are arrogant and rich and they test God and they get away with it. Then we see a book of remembrance of those who fear the Lord and those people belong to the Lord and they will be spared when the day comes with fire. On that day, it will be easy to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't. Verse 18. Verse 2 of chapter 4 says that those who fear his name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. The last three verses say, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Dr. Bett said these are also key verses of the book. Mitchell L. Chase said in his little book, Hope for All the Earth, the Old Testament era ends with a sense of incompleteness. The Old Testament story is an incomplete story, page 81 of his book. Ladies, it's not finished because the day of the Lord has not come. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, and then verses 45 through 47, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 through 13, we see that the Lord brought Elijah the prophet to the people. This passage reads, And the disciples asked him, meaning Jesus, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. The incompleteness of the Old Testament comes to completeness in the New. My pastor in Kentucky used to say, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Verse 6 of chapter 3 of Malachi said, For I the Lord do not change, Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And they were not consumed and we are not consumed because of his grace. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. One thing the Old Testament and the New Testament show us is that true repentance, true faith, is shown in tangible actions. The message of the prophets is to love God and love people, and our actions show how well we do that. So ladies, if you hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you today, what is he saying? Let's not harden our hearts and disobey. Instead, let's be women who hear and obey. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.